What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Eternal Encounter Podcast. My name is Rowan Zimmerman. And I'm Bradley Mariah. Today, we're joined by our special guest, the one and only Jason Everett. Jason, how you doing, man? Doing well. Thanks for having me on. Of course. Yeah, Jason, so could you, yeah, just please tell us a little bit about yourself, about your ministry, and what kind of, what kind of got you there to where you are now? Yeah, well, uh, let's see. I've been married for 19 years. We've got eight beautiful kids. And uh, for the past 25 years, been traveling around the world, speaking on the topic of uh, chastity, of human sexuality, and uh, on gender. Uh, got started back in college, kind of helping out with high school retreats. And the kids would really open up to me about all the struggles they were going through. And a lot of it had to do with relationships and sexuality. Um, and realized they just had really no formation in that area. And then I also did three years of crisis pregnancy counseling, where I was talking to women who are having an abortion within the hour, uh, giving them different options and alternatives. And I uh, just really started feeling late. Like I'm meeting a woman and she's having an abortion in 45 minutes. Like, why am I meeting her now? Like, why couldn't I have met her when she was 15? Cause maybe if she learned about chastity, then she never would have ended up dating this guy and be in this difficult situation. So I realized to save the most unborn babies, uh, you gotta be a little bit more proactive instead of just addressing kind of the supply of abortion, we need to look at the demand for it. And so started learning about John Paul II's Theology of the Body, his book, Love and Responsibility, started sharing that with the high school kids. And you'd see the light bulb just go on. Like they didn't realize they wanted chastity until they actually discovered what it was. Uh, like Steve Jobs once said, people don't know what they want until you show it to them. And I think that's especially true when it comes to this virtue of chastity. So I've been traveling around the world for uh, 25 years, kind of spreading the good news of uh, God's plan for human love. Wow. That's beautiful. Yeah. Um, I guess the first question we have for you is, like, why is your body a temple? Um, like, where biblically does it say that, I guess, we are a temple and we should, we should take care of our bodies? Uh, well, that, that comes from the writings of St. Paul in uh, 1 Corinthians. You do not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit, um, and that if you join that to a prostitute, you become one body with her. And so he calls you not to defile yourself. And so the idea of being a temple of the Holy Spirit is that by virtue of your baptism, the Blessed Trinity resides in you. And so that our bodies, um, what they're called to do, the church's teaching is pretty simple, that when it comes to our sexuality, what the church wants us to do is speak the truth with our bodies. And so when you make love to a woman, your body is speaking a promise. It's saying, I give myself completely to you. I'm entirely yours. But if they're not married, it really isn't true. And so chastity is really sexual honesty. And so when we uh, use our sexuality as God designed for it, um, then it becomes an expression of the love of the Blessed Trinity, this life-giving exchange of love. Whereas, so we're kind of living out the truth of our bodies, that is this temple of God. But if we're using our sexuality in a way other than God designed, in a, in a sense, we're doing the opposite. So just as love is tied to life-giving, lust really does not, not only give life, it, it leads to death, not only spiritual death in the form of sin, but uh, emotional death so often, even physical death, disease, you know, and, and I don't try to spend a lot of time harping on all the negatives of promiscuity. That's not really the route I take with like this fear-based, you know, shame, guilt-mongering kind of approach. It's not like, no, what kind of love do you want? I mean, don't you want a love that's free and total mm -hmm. and faithful and life-giving? Well, that, that's the wedding vows. And so when a husband and a wife make love, 
they're speaking those wedding vows in and through their bodies. And so what we're called to do is just remember, hey, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. Uh, you do not belong to yourself, Paul says. You've been purchased at a great price. So therefore, glorify God in your body. And obviously, easier said than done. But if the Holy Spirit is in us, then the graces are available at our disposal if we want to ask God for the help to use our sexuality as he designed. Wow, that's so good. So... One, like while you were speaking, I was just thinking, what are some practical steps that people can actively treat their body as a temple of the Holy Spirit? Because I know like growing up in high school, I was taught through peers that if I wouldn't submit to the hookup culture, then it's like a, to a detriment to myself. So what are some, maybe some advice and some like tips on how you can actively do that? Well, one thing, your body, big, big like one treating is, your body as a temple. Yeah, well, I mean, especially as a young adult, college student, uh, find good friends. Uh, you will always become like your friends, good or bad. I mean, a buddy of mine said friends are like elevators. They either take you up or they take you down. And when you're ha hanging out with friends that aren't really living a very good life, what you tend to see is their faults and your virtues. But if you're hanging out with people that are pursuing a life of perfection and virtuous, virtuous life, you'll see their virtues and your faults. And as a result, you progress a lot more rapidly in the interior life. It's like if you're playing a sport and, you know, let's say you're a college lacrosse player and you're playing high schoolers and you're playing the junior high lacrosse team. Like, yeah, you're going to feel pretty darn good about your skill set, you know, but you're not going to make a lot of progress. But then you start playing against division one teams and it's like, whoa, I've got a ways to go and I could really pick up some more skills here. And I really need to be playing at my A game. You're going to progress so much more rapidly if you are playing with people who are more advanced than you are in that particular skill set. Same thing goes with life of virtue. So if you're hanging out, you know, at the parties where the guys are busy throwing up in the bushes or hooking up with girls, like you're thinking, hey, like <laughs> I did great tonight. Like I stayed, I didn't get drunk. Like I'm doing really, really good. But then it's like, okay, well, yeah, but what about other men who are out there? Maybe they're feeding the homeless tonight, or maybe they're spending a holy hour, or maybe they're just hanging out with friends at the Newman Center, and they're not going to wake up regretting what they did. Uh, hang out with them, and you're like, okay, maybe I got a ways to go. Maybe I could you know, cut that thing out of my life that I've been hanging on to. In fact, it's amazing just how simple, and we think, well, hey, I'm not going to become this horrible person just because I'm around some people that aren't living devout life. And I'm not saying you got to cut off every friendship of somebody's not going to daily mass. I'm not going to go that extreme. But what I'm saying is when you're hanging out with like good godly people, it's amazing what rubs off on you. Like a friend of mine was telling me, Hey, like you remember Matt from college? I'm like, yeah, I remember the guy, but I didn't know him real well. And he's like, yeah, I was just talking to him the other day. And he was telling me like, I was asking about his prayer life. And he said like, he gets up at four 30 in the morning every day. So he's got two solid hours of morning prayer before his wife and kids wake up. So he's got his marching orders from God, the father before he leads that family to heaven that day. Wow. And I was like, dang, like, like, yeah, I get up a little early for morning prayer, but it ain't four 30. And, and it just stuck with me. And that, and that guy doesn't have any idea that his prayer life has impacted mine. But just when you're in the company of men who are pursuing excellence, uh, you get your game on. It doesn't matter if it's in economic affairs and business and sports and prayer life. Be with the people that you want to be like. Uh, and so I think in terms of keeping your body as a temple of the Holy Spirit, uh, surround yourself with other temples, so to speak, and people who are aware of the fact of the sacredness of their own body. Whew. 
Okay, that's awesome. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, yeah. I know a lot of people who understand the concept. They want to live a chase life, but I feel like they don't really understand the effects of what happens to your body when you engage in a sexual act. Um, so I guess what are like, what are those effects? So we can kind of, people don't try to, I guess, surface level of, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm going to be okay. You know, I guess what like really happens to our bodies when we have those sexual acts outside of marriage? Yeah. I mean, well, you could look at it from uh, an emotional perspective, a psychological perspective, a physical perspective. I mean, the physical is the most obvious. Uh, you know, I just talked to a girl a couple of days ago and she's terrified because she missed her period and she's just scared to death, like to tell her mom, like, uh Oh, like I need to get a pregnancy test and the guys blocked her. And so he's not replying to her text messages or her DMS or anything. He's just like, I want nothing to do with you. And like, so obviously like, yeah, physical effects afterwards, that's pretty serious stuff. Cause like when you flip over a pregnancy test, it should be with joy. It should be with anticipation. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to tell your mom and dad, like, cause we're married and it's exciting and it's a gift. And so we're, if we're flipping over pregnancy tests in fear we're using the gift of our sexuality in the wrong way. It's not that the baby shouldn't be there. It's that the fear shouldn't be there. And so, so that's one indication, physical stuff. And, and then it ties into the STDs and all that stuff. I mean, uh, the most common sexually transmitted disease is called human papillomavirus. This can cause cervical cancer in the, in the women. And in terms of its prevalence on university campuses right now, according to the Journal of the American Medical Association, 44% of college females are currently infected with human papillomavirus. Now, it's a staggering number. I mean, that's a current prevalence rate. And so if a guy sleeps with her, and he, oh, I'm using safe sex, HPV is spread from the whole region outside as well of the area that's covered by safe sex. And so it can be transmitted during so-called safe sex. And if the guy gets it, he's typically what's called a vector of the virus, meaning he'll carry it, but it doesn't often have bad effects on his body. But now if he's got it and he gets married, his wife is now five times as likely to get cervical cancer. And believe me, when that happens, and I've happened to happen to my friends and their relationships, like it hits hard. Like, wait a minute, I finally meet the girl I'm marrying, like I give her cancer, you know, and then the, the wife can get it. And then the kids can get it from the wife. I knew of one dad and his daughter started coughing a lot and he took her to the pediatrician. He looked in her throat and the, the doctor is like, um, sorry, your daughter has genital warts growing in her throat. And the dad's like, who did this? You know? And he said, no, no, no. He said, uh, were you or your wife sexually active with someone else before marriage? And the, the husband was like, well, my wife was a virgin, but I've been around, but doc, safe sex every time. And the doctor said, I'm sorry that you don't know that you're an asymptomatic carrier of human papillomavirus. You've given that to your wife, your baby got it during the delivery process and the birth canal, and we'll have to burn the warts off your daughter's throat. And typically it'll take about 20 surgeries before we're able to get them all out. Could you imagine the horror that father was experiencing with his innocent little girl paying the price of, of his promiscuity? And if he could just have seen into the future five years of knowing like, if you go forward to this hookup tonight, this is going to be the price tag. Do you know how easy it would have been to be like, I don't need this tonight. I'm out of here. Uh, you know, uh, I'm out of the party. I'm gone. I, I'm keeping my clothes on. I don't need this. It's just not worth it. But you can't see in the future. 
And so, I mean, this is just the physical negative consequences. Then you look at the emotional ones. Well, like when you become sexually active with someone, I mean, your judgment of that person typically becomes toast. Uh, it's because when you are sexually intimate, the brain of the man or the woman, especially the woman, releases a neurochemical called oxytocin. They call it human superglue. causes massive emotional bonding. Uh, it also impairs your critical thinking abilities. You focus on the good and not the negative. And inside marriage, that's great to have that great bond, to not be critical of each other, to trust each other more. Outside of marriage, super dangerous because you feel so close to the person, but you can't look at the red flags, the relationship. And that's why people say, well, don't you want to sleep with someone before you get married? That way you know if you're compatible. You know, sexual compatibility is about the easiest thing to figure out in marriage. And so if you've got that, the problem is the sexual compatibility can cover up the absence of the more substantial forms of compatibility that are necessary to make a lasting marriage. Can we sacrifice? Do we know how to listen? Do we know how to argue with each other respectfully? Like, do we see eye to eye on all this stuff? All that stuff can get kind of papered over by the arousal of sexual intimacy. And so if you want to make a good choice of a spouse, you need 20-20 vision. You need to be, you know, clear clarity as much as possible because, you know, they say, oh, love is blind. Like, no, no, no. Love is seeing the faults of the other and then making a decision. Like, do I make a gift of myself to this person in love? And that's why couples who cohabit before marriage has such a higher divorce rate. They think they're so compatible, but it's like, look, marriage ultimately is about being able to sacrifice and have self-control and patience. And that's all the stuff you learn from chastity. You just don't learn it by cohabiting and shacking up. And so, yeah, physically there's side effects, emotionally there's side effects, spiritually, obviously side effects as well. Um, and it is easy it is to harp on all the negative stuff. I think what we need to really focus on is that abstinence is an expression of love. By not sleeping with your girlfriend, you're actually, it's a greater expression of love than making love because you're doing what's best for her and not just what feels good in the moment. And that's why John Paul said chastity can only be thought of in association with that virtue of love. Wow, that's good. That's good, that's good, that's good. So one thing that I always just get, like, just like when I'm trying to talk to chast talk chastity towards my friends, they're like, isn't this feeling from God? You know, like, like, why can't I like release these feelings towards like, let's say masturbation, pornography or having sex. Could you speak into like why these feelings are a blessing and they're not like something that's just like, like toxic. And it's just, cause you know, a lot of times I don't know how I get, or was in the past that I was just like, oh my gosh, what is wrong with me? I'm getting these feelings. Yeah. Yeah. yeah like, John, I don't John know. Paul Could you kind of? Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um, John Paul II was teaching a university class in Poland, and one of the students was like, you know, how come you talk so much about sexuality? There's more important stuff out there. And John Paul concurred. Yeah, there are more important subjects, but he said he sees the abuse of sexuality as the main obstacle to spirituality. And he affirmed that the sexual urge is a gift from God. I mean, God gave us our desires. He gave us our bodies. But we need to be careful is to not deify uh, or divinize like every single desire we have. I mean, oh, I have an impulse must be from God. I don't know about your impulses, but mine, a lot of them are not from God. It's like, okay, that person cut me off. I'd like to shoot them, you know, uh, or, you know, I'm mad. I want to yell. I want to do the impatience, the lust, the selfishness, the materialism. 
I don't know about you, but I got a lot of inordinate desires in my life that I need to put in check by an act of the will through discerning, is this really good or not? Just give into that impulse. And so we've got to realize that we're not just animals, just driven by pure carnal instinct. We have the capacity to discern, okay, which of these urges is actually good to act upon? Because especially in the sexual realm, the vast majority of sexual urges you will experience in your life will not, not be moral to act upon. And I mean, even as a husband, you know, you go to the gym or this or that, like you might experience sexual desires, attractions. Oh, am I going to say, oh, this is from God. You know, I'm going to go do this, or I'm going to go lust after that girl, or I'm going to go flirt with her. I'm going to go, because I've got these urges. I've got these attractions must be from God. It's like, okay, well, no, I can see a beautiful woman and say, thank you, God, for making her beautiful. You know, how lovely is your dwelling place? Lord, mighty God, God bless her. Uh, maybe she holy as your mother was holy. I pray for her future vocation uh, and just move on with your life. So you, you pray for the person. You say, thank you, God, for making her beautiful. You move on with your life. It doesn't mean that like every single time you see beauty, you have to be drawn into lust to that person. A lot of times people say, well, it's just, I mean, it's just being a guy. Yeah, look, we got our desires, but especially when we look at a lot of porn, like I did growing up, you tend to get like these porn goggles. Like you don't even know how to look at a woman except through the lens of lust. And then you want to just say, oh, well, it's just being a guy. It's like, well, it's more like being a boy. I mean, you've got to ascend beyond the mere impulses to be a man to discern, okay, am I really loving that woman in my imagination and my speech and the kind of music I'm listening to? Like, or am I just degrading women and passing myself off as a man because I have these desires. But the gifts in and of themselves of the sexual impulse is a good thing. It's drawing us towards unity, towards a life-giving love to make a gift of ourself. But we've got to understand, like, we have original sin. I mean, this is a reality. It means we have darkened intellects, weakened wills, and disordered appetites. All of us. It's not just the people experience this attraction or that. We're all in the same boat together. And it's a matter of taking those urges and bringing them before God and saying, like, help me sift these out. My God, you gave me all, all desires. You gave me this body. You know, what am I supposed to do with all this stuff? And if I think, okay, well, I got an itch. I got to scratch it. I have an impulse. I need to masturbate. I'm tempted. I need to look at more porn. Then it'll go away. Porn and masturbation does not remove temptations any more than like pouring lighter fluid on a fire is going to put that out. It just succumbing to lust trains me that I got needs that need to get met. And when I have those feelings, I need to act out or I'm going to be like this repressive neurotic freak. Believe me, if a man never overcomes the habit of masturbation, looking at porn, then if and when he does get married, He'll never make love to his wife. He'll just use his wife's body as an outlet for what he thinks of as his sexual needs. And believe me, a woman's heart knows the difference between a man who actually has self-mastery and can make a gift of himself and love and a man who's not even free to love because he can't even say no to his own sexual impulses. Because if you can't say no to your sexual impulses, then saying yes to them means nothing. And so it's this virtue of chastity that actually frees us to love, just like it frees us to know for authentically being loved. That's very, that's, that's awesome. I love that. So yeah, you were a college student at one point. We're both college students. So I kind of want to hear about your personal life and how you developed um, the virtue of chastity. 
Yeah, well, I mean, it, it was a, a bit of a roller coaster. I mean, it wasn't like, hey, I signed my chastity commitment card when I was 11 and I never turned back. I'm like, no, it's not my story. I mean, I struggled with porn. I mean, I found the stuff when I was like in second grade, riding my bike around the neighborhood with a friend. And, and then your neighbor had it. And then your cousin had it. And then your friend at school had it. And so I, I just had that stuff in my life, probably like throughout grade school to about the middle, late high school. And that's a real critical 10 years of your life that you're just marinating in lust. And then it wasn't until like the end of high school, I started like getting my act together and be like, dude, I got to get rid of this junk. And, you know, finally got rid of the stuff and have never gone back. Thanks be to God. I have not looked yeah. at porn since then. And, you know, and, you know, and, and I know the temptation's always there knocking. And so I just got to be like, Hey, you know, I ain't gonna, I'm going to go near that stuff. Cause I just know where that's going to lead. And so got, got to college and started having relationships that were a little different than the high school ones and uh meeting girls that actually had strong values and it's like wow chastity is hard enough when you both agree with it it becomes so much harder if you're dating a girl who's not on board with this because then you have to be like the chastity cop kind of guy like and a lot of guys have this disposition of well, well as long as she's okay with it then we're good then i'm being a good boy then i'm being a gentleman it's like uh like no like you don't get points for not forcing her to do things like that that's not a gentleman like we need to cut a higher standard for ourselves like i shouldn't even be putting her in a situation to begin with where she'd even need to say no to me in the first place and so we need to not leave it up to the girl to set the standards we got to have our own morality and then find girls who share that morality and fight for your purity together as a team and so i found when i started dating girls in college who were on board with this it was a heck of a lot easier to live it out. And so to me, finding the good friends, dating the girls who share the same values, I made it a whole lot easier. But you know, it, it is a continual battle. It's not like I said, you sign your commitment card, you're good. I mean, it's a daily thing. Like I'm in the gym this morning and you gotta have custody over your eyes. And I'm like, okay, that girl's wearing that over there. I don't need to look over there. <laughs> I, I know what's, what's yeah. waiting over there. I don't need to take nine different glances over there. Uh, it's just like, okay, God, you made her beautiful. Good job on that one. Thank you. Move on with your life. You know, a priest said to me, there's a difference between having a bird fly over your head and letting it make a nest in your hair. And wow. it's the same thing. You know, thoughts are going to come. Temptations are going to come and come at the weirdest times too. It's like, wait a minute, I'm in church. Like, why is that thought coming to mind? Why am I getting this flashback? I'm trying to be a good boy and all this stuff is assaulting me. It's like, okay, don't get disturbed by it. You know, just let it pass by and okay, God, I had that thought again. Maybe I should pray for that girl who's in my memory and for her healing and whatever. And so we can learn to respond to the beauty of the body with love, not just a no. Sex is bad. Sex is dirty. But a yes, like, yes, God, thank you for making her beautiful. And I want to respond to her with love, with dignity, with respect, with prayer. And then I'm not just be going to become this repressive neurotic. I'm going to have an integration of my sexual desires, meaning it's good for me to be a man. It's good for me to get, have these virile desires to, to be one with a beautiful woman. Like, hey, that, that's a good thing. It means you're alive. It means you got a pulse. And, and if you fall and if you mess up, well, guess what? The foundation of chastity is humility. Uh, it's not like getting stronger and stronger and stronger. I mean, if it's anything, it's more of a realization of your weakness that lets you to persevere in this. Like, God, I realize how weak I am in this area. I really need you. Like, I really need your grace. I need your sacraments. I need your fellowship. I need your church. And it's that sense of childlike dependency upon God and the church that helps you to persevere in this. Instead of thinking, I just got to try harder and kind of just white knuckle it you'll burn out real fast with that approach. 
Wow, that really stuck out to me, like surrender. I was so, I remember I'd be so caught up on like, okay, I got to fight. This This is all on me. Mm -hmm. But then like once I started inviting the Lord into it, there's just so much freedom, you know, and receiving his love. Yeah. And and not losing your peace when you mess up. I mean, St. Francis de Sales, that's one of the most important things is like, if you mess up, don't lose your peace because the devil wants to, before you sin, the devil wants you to have peace. Meaning like, hey, you've done this before. Those people over there are a lot worse than you are. God will understand. You've been such a good boy lately, you know, and you should feel sorry for yourself and have this little outlet. Like, like he's like this consoling spirit before the sin. And then, and then the, well, the Holy Spirit is trying to convict us of the sin. And then after the sin, their roles reverse where the devil immediately becomes the accuser. You did that. You think God loves you? You think you're good for anything? Why are you even serving the church? You're such a hypocrite. Like he just becomes the accuser immediately after the sin where the Holy Spirit becomes the comforter at that point. And so be real mindful of the voice that's speaking to you before a sin. If it's a, it's a voice of consolation and all that, it's the evil one. You know, and if you get a spirit of judgment after a sin of shame, and that's not the Holy Spirit. Like they say that the devil versus God, God knows your sins, but he calls you by your name. The devil knows your name, but he calls you by your sins. And so after we sin, after we make a mistake, don't get overly worked up. Yes, be repentant and authentically so, but don't lose your peace because that's typically a sign of pride. Like, wow, I'm so astonished I messed up. I thought I was practically canonizable, you know, last week. And here I am, I, I sinned, how could that possibly be? And so sometimes God lets us struggle in some of our vices for longer than we want so we can realize our utter dependency on him. I love that. I love that. So there's definitely a lot of college people watching this. So what's, what's some advice you could get for them who want to live that life, desiring that life? What, what's the motivation that you could speak to them that know that there's a hope and there's a, it's possible to live this life, to live yeah. Yeah. Well, I'd say, what's the alternative? I mean, really, like, what is the alternative? Do I really want to be a porn addicted 30 year old dad who's got to slap my laptop shut? My five year old girl comes in the room because she can't see what dad's seeing. Like, is that, is that really a viable option for us? Like, I just want to stay hooked in porn because it's just going to go away on its own eventually. That's not an option. Okay. Hookup culture. Really, like, how satisfied am I with this? In fact, they surveyed college students across the country and asked them, How's it working with the hookup culture? What would you rather have, a hookup or a traditional romantic relationship? The vast majority of college males and females say, I'd much prefer to have a traditional romantic relationship than a hookup. But they were twice as likely to hook up as go on a first date because they didn't know how to date. They didn't even know the beginnings of it. And they asked them, how do you feel after a hookup? 5% of them felt uh, proud. 2% felt wanted. I mean, that's a pretty dismal failure rate in terms of satisfaction from a hookup culture. So to me, it's like, okay, that should be motivation enough to say, look, this is not working for you. You know, there's something better that exists, but you need hope that it exists. You need a little bit of self-love to realize like, yeah, maybe I haven't made all the best choices in the past, but that doesn't need to dictate the rest of my natural life. I mean, isn't love worth it? And if my future wife is out there somewhere tonight right now, how would I want her living tonight? Do I want her in this hookup culture? Do I want her doing this stuff and thinking, well, everybody's doing it? Or would I want her to think of me? And that's why when you stand mm -hmm. on the altar, you say, I'm going to love you and honor you all the days of my life. All right, today is the day of your life. Start loving your future spouse. 
Start being faithful to her in a sense. And granted, you might not even know who she is yet, but you can still honor her by the way you interact, you know, with other women and your daily life. And I think if you start persevering and doing this, like you're going to stick out as a guy on campus, like big time, because these players, I mean, they're a dime a dozen. I mean, girls get so bored with these guys. And yeah, it might seem like, well, then why they date all the jerks if they really want a good guy? A lot of times they don't even think they deserve a good guy. I mean, I had a friend at San Diego State and uh, he had met this beautiful girl. They started dating and then she dumped him and like, he didn't do anything wrong. And she said, I'm sorry, I only date jerks. <laughs> like, that's literally what she said. Like, she broke up with him because she, he was a good guy and she just really believed she didn't deserve that. And so I think women need to really especially check themselves of thinking like, okay, have I just given up hope on myself? Because if you give up hope on love, you're giving up on yourself. And that like, you, you don't want a guy and girls think, well, there's no good guys. And if the, even if there are a good guy, he wouldn't want me. Look, just trust me. If any good guy judges you by your past, he's not that good of a guy. You want to hold out for a guy who can see your future together instead of someone who's always rubbing your nose in your past. And so begin by getting your own nose out of your past. Like, I don't need to repeat this cycle. Maybe if my parents had a messed up relationship, doesn't even, mine needs to be messed up doesn't mean I need to give up on marriage because my parents' marriage was a dumpster fire. Like, hey, can I do a little better than that? Don't I have any confidence in my own ability to love? And so the motivating force behind chastity has to be love, not shame, not guilt, not repression, not none of that stuff. None of that's going to last. It's got to be love, love for your God, love for yourself, love for your future spouse. Oh, praise God. That's so good. Jason, while we're wrapping up, how can people get more resources with like what you do? And yeah, if they want to reach out to you, like what are some things that they can do to, yeah, just, yeah, their resources, like what are some things? Yeah, just go to our website, chastity.com. So C-H-A-S-T-I-T-Y.com. And through there, they could click to listen to our podcast, which is called Lust is Boring. Uh, you could follow us on Instagram and Twitter, uh, YouTube. We've got all kinds of stuff coming out there. Uh, and then we've got tons of books. We've got a book for the girls called How to Find Your Soulmate Without Losing Your Soul. It's basically a manual on how to avoid losers. And then for the guys, we've got a book called The Dating Blueprint, which is basically just the specifics of dating etiquette that guys never receive because we just get told don't do this and don't do that but no one gives us the specifics how do i know this is the right girl how do i know this is the right time to date and if it is how do i ask her out or how do i do this and the dating blueprint walks through all that we've got books on how to break free from porn from a girl's perspective as well as for guys all kinds of resources everything there at chastity.com wow thank you so much jason for your yeah giving us You're your welcome. time and giving us your your insight no ha happy to come on keep up the great work guys Thank you so Thank much. St. Joseph Terror Demons. Pray Very for nice. us. Sweet. Thank you so much, Jason. Oh, you're welcome, guys. That was awesome.